weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never
search the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. You came along and put me back together. Cause the God of the mountains is the God of the valley. There's, there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again.
I worship you. I worship. 
It's my heart, these empty places, is what you wanted all along. It's not a building you want to fill. It's my heart, this empty space, is what you wanted all along. It's not a building you want to fill. It's my heart. This empty space is what you wanted all along. Come again, let your glory in. I'm open, I'm open. Come again, let your glory in. Jesus, you are the 
Jesus, thank you that you are the answer to it all. You are a way maker. You are the miracle worker. You are our victory. And we just ask and thank you that we are in your presence. That you are here. And there's nothing more that we need than you. You are all that we need. You are the answer to every question that we have. You are the fulfiller of every need that we have. And in you, we live and move and have our being. In you, every victory is won. And we just pour out ourselves today in worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. my glasses so I could see it. I'm sitting there last night and I've been doing my immigration paperwork, which is extensive to say the least. Good night. And uh, I got it down to a couple of questions on two pages that I need to fill out and one more page and I think I got all of it filled out. But my eyes were going literally going crossed. And I hadn't looked up the scripture that I wanted for today yet. I was trying to see it and I couldn't see it. I had to drop my glasses finally. <laughs> so it was just like, ah. Yes, good. That's it. And walleye fillets. And pierogies. And pierogies. Yes. If you don't know what pierogies are, you guys know what pierogies are? Yeah. Pierogies are amazing things. Yet. Totally, totally off topic, but Dana actually, uh, when she first uh, moved to Canada, her mom called and said, how's everything going and everything else? And uh, she said, mom, it's really good. And then her, at, back then she didn't sound like a Canadian. She actually sounded like someone from Texas. And she said, uh, the, and so I teased her. I said, I said it, was, it was like you'd been progified. It was the, it was the, the, crucifer, the, the baptism of Canadianism is you've been progified, right? Because she said to her mom, Mom? She said, well, how is the food there? I said, Mom, they got these little things. They're called pierogies? They are amazing! <laughs> but her accent was quite thick. Oh, today... I never was a huge hockey fan, and that's why I'm mostly American. I, all my buddies, I was, I was that one guy in Canada. There's usually everybody plays hockey, 
and then there's a couple guys that play hockey and football, and then there's the one football guy, and that was me. I was a football guy. I grew too fast. My ankles were too weak to skate when I was young. So I just said, no, I'm done with that. Moving on. <laughs> um, anybody got anything before I start yammering or continue to yammer? Anybody bring anything today? No? Mike, you got a scripture? Mike, you got a scripture? Hiding away? Well, I'd say that's for everybody. Yeah, I'd say that's for everybody. That's a, that's a good word for everybody. When you fought the fight to establish, I was just talking to somebody about that today. One of my neighbors was going through some stuff, and I said, you know, good. Full armor, when you fought the fight to a standstill, yet still stand. Yeah, right on. Anybody else? Nothing? Dana? No? She's not really that cold. She's just a wuss because she's lived in Canada all this time and now she's turned back into an Oklahoma wuss. She said that herself this morning. I'm not making fun of her. <laughs> Um, so I want to talk today a little bit about um, a statement that's in the front door. Um, a number of years ago, Dana and I were driving down a Saskatchewan road, and God had shown us some stuff, and we were just walking it out, just you know, going where the Lord had shown us something on the way home one day from my sister's place, and we were driving past this little town. And as we went past this town, there was this large old church that somebody had started to renovate and, and it had abandoned the renovation, but it was a big old stone church. And um, as we drove by, I heard the Lord say, Livingstone's Fellowship. And then he said, a new century church with a first century mindset. I went, oh, that's good. So I told Dana, so I think God's going to do something, you know. So we went through a process with that, and and uh, I never really gave it a whole lot more thought. And it was probably a couple of years later where I was really asking God, what is that, a new century church with a first century mindset? Like, how does that come into play? What is the, what are the ramifications of that? You know, I mean, I always, I had always been, from the day that I was born again in 85, um, I was always one that believed, as you guys know, in just walking with God. He's my friend. 
He's my God. He's my brother. He's my father. Um, he is holy. He should be reverenced. I don't take it lightly. I'm not one of these, oh, he's my buddy. I mean, God is my buddy, but he is so much more than my buddy. So much more than my buddy. And you need to remind yourself of that. You need to keep that in perspective. Um, so I was asking, what does that mean to have a new century church with a first century mindset? And God was encouraging me in what I already knew to be true, you know, about um, the church is the group of people, not this building. You know, this is a building we meet in. It's a beautiful building. It's a wonderful building. I was considering it today when I came in. I thought, what a beautiful building. But it's a building. You know, we're the church. We've all heard that before. And a lot of what I'm going to say today, you've probably heard before. But what I want to challenge you is, and it has to be done individually. This isn't something that I can say, here's the five steps to, or the... I'm going to challenge you to find your own space. To get out of the boxes that you've been in and find your own space with God and then let Him challenge you to change inside that space. You know, um, Rusty said something this morning I think is really true. He said, I don't know why God made me this way, but he did. And we're all made for a reason, and who knows what the purpose is, but this is the way we're made, and this is what I do. And he was talking about wearing camo and having two Sunday church hats. And, but it's true. God makes us a certain way. You know, what he says to us is, though, is, is fit. Make yourself fit. Find a body, fit in like living stones. So it's interesting when we move down here, that we moved on to this property that was covered in living stone. I've never seen stone that's so amazing before as this, my father-in-law called it Missouri mudstone. Um, you know, this sandstone that we have here. And it's uh, the fossilization in it, the representation of things gone by. We got a big old rock on the front of our property that's bigger than a pickup truck. And it's in the shape of a, of a, of a cruising, an old school cruising ship, you know, a reap a cheap ship. You could put a, literally, we could put a telephone pole down the middle of that thing, put a sail on it, and put reap a cheap on the bow, and, and the kids would just have a heyday with it. They would, I mean, it is just like, it's, it's crazy. Um, but it has animal tracks in it, you know. We've got other pieces of stone on the property that have, uh, they say it's fossilized skin is what it is. It looks like a honeycomb. Have you ever seen that? And it looks like a honeycomb. They tell me that's fossilized skin, is what I was told. You know, crazy stuff, but it's living stone. You know, I'll, I'll pull a rock out of the ground thinking I'm going to use it for something, and then I turn around and I move it, and I, when I turn it around, the other side is more beautiful than the front side. And so you're using it to feature that. You know, you feature that, that, that beauty, beautiful stone that's there. That's funny, we were talking about stonemasonry today. I didn't even think of that. Um, but again, when you're fitting living stones together, you have to take time. You have to walk around. You have to be selective. And then find the rock that fits with the rock that you had up the hill. And sometimes you'll carry a rock for a long distance. John, I'm a little hot. Can you turn me down a bit? Um, I'm up, uh, uh, you'll be walking up a hill or you'll be, you know, going wherever. And uh, 
you'll see that stone. You'll think, yeah, that, that's the one. So you pick it up. You carry it all the way back. You go to fit it in. Nope, the angles are backwards. It doesn't fit. So you wait for three or four days. And God shows you another one, and you think, that's not going to fit. And you walk it over there, and you go to put it in. And it doesn't fit by itself, but there's another stone right beside it. When you put the two together, they fit perfectly. And you go, wow. Living stones. Unhewn rock. Right? So what he's saying in that is he's saying, I've made you. I've made you wonderfully. You've been wonderfully made. And I have a reason for having made you that way. I have a reason for Rusty wearing camo and two hats all the time. And it's all good. Seriously. Like, dead serious. There's a reason. You know? And, and, and there's, so there's things that we don't need to fight against. Sorry. It's true, Laura. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, two Sunday hats. Um, so there's there's a reason why we're you know all that to say that there is a reason why we're made the way we're made, but we're not made to stay in one mindset, right? We don't know. I want everybody to embrace this, okay? <clears throat> if you can embrace one thing today, embrace this. We don't know what's best for us, but He does. And that means allowing yourself to not just be challenged, but to actually change when God says change. And because I've used this before, I'll use it again, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but, you know, one day Rusty wakes up on a Sunday and the Lord says, I want you to wear a suit and no hat and trim your beard. And he goes, I don't think so. And the next Sunday comes along, the Lord says, I asked you to wear a suit and no hat and trim your beard. Rusty goes, okay, I'm definitely hearing God, but I don't have time today. And so the third Sunday, before he goes to bed Saturday night, he trims his beard up, he puts his hat aside and weeps for a moment, and then he pulls out a suit that he hopes he still fits into, and he goes to church. And God uses that with somebody that he may or may never know the result of. But that day, that's what he was to do. And the Lord knew it would take him three weeks. Because that's what it would take me. So I'm not judging you. I'm <laughs> yeah, I have to find a suit. Uh, but, you know, so these, these are the types of things. Don't get, don't get stuck in your world. Now, that sounds like a really small, simple thing. But what I want to talk to you today about is what is a new century mindset? Are we ready to change into that? Are we ready to go from... Uh, being a new century church with a first century mindset and what does that mean without going into too much horrible detail. Um, R.W. Schambach was somebody that I heard early in my Christian life because he came and did a tent meeting in Saskatoon and Saskatchewan and I think I've told that story before so I won't go into detail but um, when he came it was, it was entertaining, it was amazing, it was eye-opening in a lot of good ways. Uh, we saw people get saved we saw a couple of people be healed, you know. Um, nothing of any consequence as far as doctor's reports or things like that. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, when you looked at what you saw when RW came through, there were people that were healed. And RW had a lot of that in his ministry, you know. Um, our damn, uh, is everybody familiar with who he is, RW Shamba? 
So R.W. Schambach was a minister. I can't remember where he came out of originally, but he was your atypical 1960s, early 1970s, late 1950s. Yeah. I think he did do some stuff with Billy Graham, but no. No, not always, no. R.W. Schambach was more of a, a televangelist type thing, evangelistic. Um, R.W. Schambach. Yeah, yeah. He did do some stuff. I didn't realize he did it with Billy Graham, but I know he did. He was fairly well known. And I mean, so you can't, you know, I'm not deterring or taking away from him at all because there was a ministry there, but but he was he was the atypical Helen Brimstone preacher. Right? Yeah, and we can fit into that mold real easy. There's parts of each and every one of us that can fit into the into the R.W. Schambach mold and just be R.W. Schambach. Okay? And think that's the way church should be, that's the way revival should be. And again, I'm not taking any away from him. God used the man. I mean I mean, and I'm not saying that lightly. He there was a there was a real anointing on him for a long season. Um, a real blessing. But atypically, that's what we think of when we think of an evangelistic preacher or we think of revival or we think of all these. It's the box we put ourselves into. And then if you go back a little further, a little earlier in time, there was a man from Canada called John G. Lake. And do you know who John G. Lake is? Um, John G. Lake is a contemporary of, um, who would have been Dana? About the same time. Oh, what's her name? The one that people say that you're. What's her name? She was in California and Hollywood. She had a big church in Hollywood, and there was a lot of healings. Uh, matter of fact, her church is still there. She was the founder of Circle Square Men of uh, um, yeah. Amy Simple McPherson. So, in the same line as Amy Simple McPherson, right around that, come out of the Azusa revival, etc. Okay. So, John G. Lake was a man that uh, had gone to, with a different organization, had gone to South Africa and had been preaching in South Africa. He was born in Canada, went down to South Africa, preached there. That whole ministry fell apart badly. I mean, badly. Uh, his name was not on it, but it fell apart in a bad way, horrible way. Things that would have made national news now, you know. Um, he came back and continued to move forward in the things of God was never a resoundingly loud preacher, was never a, uh, that wasn't his thing, but he was an evangelist, and he preached healing. John G. Lee was able to see hundreds of thousands of people healed from maladies and illnesses that nobody else would even think of touching. As a matter of fact, it was to such an extent, he had based himself out of Portland, Oregon, and out of Spokane, and it was to such an extent that the uh, government, I don't know if it was the FBI or not, because it was probably right around the time they were formed, but the government sent in special services to investigate the John G. Lake Ministries because they figured there must have been fraud going on and money being switched because there's no way that anybody could profess this many healings because it was making national news. I mean, this was the early 1930s, and it was making national news everywhere. And John G. Lake had uh, started these things called healing rooms. And people would just come, soak in the presence of God. But it was so different, so out of the box, 
so unusual to everything that was going on in the church that day and in the government that they said there's no way this can be happening. When the government inspector came back that was responsible for doing the report on what was going on, he said, the only thing I have to report is that there is no inconsistencies financially with this ministry whatsoever and that Portland and Spokane are the healthiest cities, and he meant this literally, this was part of his report, are the healthiest cities in America today. This is in the time of the Spanish flu. This is in the time of a number of different ailments that were going through the nation because people were getting healed by the hundreds of thousands. Yep. And so it was John G. Lake that, that did that. Now, what he did is he went out of the box, right? He just followed what God told him to do. And everybody, even his contemporaries said, don't know, don't know. Kind of pushed him off a little bit. Don't know if that's going to work, you know? And there was a few people that encouraged him. Just said, do what God's telling you to do. And it did. So the question is, he gave up so much in that. He lost his first wife when he was in South Africa. He ended up marrying another woman and was blessed uh, in his second marriage with five children and, and had a wonderful life uh, with those children. Um, you know, but in an interview, and I couldn't find it, I was hoping to find it, um, but in an interview that he did a number of years back, because of course he's been gone for quite some time, he died in the late 30s, um, he, um, he was asked, when you were introduced to God, did you ever think this is the path you go down? He said, I had no idea what I wanted. And he said, I definitely had no idea what I needed. God did. We can look at our situation and we can say, I'm living in a motorhome. What the heck is going on with this, Lord? You know, or I'm living in a house with a floor that's sinking in the kitchen. What is, you know, do I not deserve better? Or I'm living in a brick house that's cracked. You know, why does that have to happen to me? And, and they seem like superficial things, but at the time they're not. You know, when you're in the moment, they're not a superficial thing. But the reality in God's kingdom is, is that we really don't know what we want, let alone what we need. You know, before I met Dana, I had a, I had a vision, a dream, that there was this young lady walking through a series of doors at the back of a church building, and she had on little red rim, they looked like red rim glasses, and she had a red tint to her hair, but I couldn't see her face. That's all I knew. That's the entire dream that I had. When Dana walked through the door, I knew it was her when I saw her the very first time. And it blew me away. But did I know that I needed to marry um, a five-foot-nothing southern woman? No. I had no clue. I had no clue, you know. I mean, but she is everything that I need. Everything. In every way. She completes me. It sounds corny, but it's true. Because God knew exactly what I needed. Exactly what I needed. And I can't speak for her, but I'm hoping it goes the other way too. I mean, <laughs> So if we don't know what we want, and we don't really know what we need, then we have to fall back you know, on what we do know. And sometimes that can be different. It can be interesting 
to try and figure out exactly what it is that we want. And I, like I said, I'm not here to give you five steps to. I'm here to challenge you to look at the basic structure of what the first century church is and then say, Lord, how do we fit into this? What are we supposed to be doing? Right? Because we can't just sit here hoping that the first century church is going to happen. I mean, we know that there's things happening in the world today that are very unsettling. We know that the church usually grows by leaps and bounds when things get crazy in the world. I mean, look at China. Largest house group church in the entire world is growing in China and India, you know, uh, because they're suffering persecution. And so they're growing faster than anybody else. Same with Iran. Largest house group church in the, in the world next to China is in Iran, of all places. You know, that's crazy. But it's true. And they are growing exponentially fast. So what are we doing to prepare? What are we doing to get ready? And what I want, to, again, to challenge you today is you, inside you. Get yourself ready. Be prepared for changes. Be ready to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to get up this morning, shave my beard, put a suit on, and go to church. Not fighting for three weeks like I do, because that's me more than it is you, Rusty. I, I, I would fight for probably, Dana will tell you, probably more than three weeks before I actually did it. It just that's just who I am. Um, in Acts two one, the Lord talks about the birth of the church, the day of Pentecost, and how, in a moment of submission, because they had all come together in prayer, and they had all gathered together in one mind through the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit fell on them, tongues of fire came down. And men from the entire world went, how do you know my language? What are you saying? What is going on? What? And the world was turned upside down because the church was born that day. When the Holy Spirit came into men and they realized that they didn't have to be a high priest in order to experience the presence of the living God. Not only that, but they weren't going to die. Not then, anyway. The birth of the church happened that day, but it took everybody by surprise. None of the apostles or the people were expecting flames of fire to show up on their heads, and yet it did. I want to also encourage you to remember that the Lord told us that we will do everything that he had done and see all the things he had seen and more so. So these aren't things for just a past day. These are things for today. These are things for tomorrow. Okay? In Acts 4, 18-31, they talk about the arrest of uh, John and Peter and how he, they, you know, he goes to prison and and they don't know what they're doing. And they well, actually, let me read that one. That one is uh, kind of foundational. Um, uh, here we go. Yeah. Nope. Well, Thursday. I sat there Thursday and I said, Lord, tell me what this, I don't really ever, Mike, one of the things I don't do is I, I'm not one that really, very rarely do I start on, take Monday off and start on Tuesday trying to search out what God wants. I pretty much go through my whole week 
And then Thursday or Friday, I say, Lord, you know, I don't have anything yet. I haven't heard anything from you. You got anything? You know, and he gives it to me. Why? What were you thinking? What? Oh, good. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that confirmation. <laughs> no, I am too. I am too. I really appreciate it. There's days when I get up and I go to say something and I'm like, oh Lord, I don't know if this is right. So <laughs> that's usually when we get in the Jeep and we're driving away and I go to Dana. Well, I did it to Laura. Was it last week or the week before? I looked at Laura after the service and I said, so how is that? <laughs> I just needed somebody to say it was okay because I wasn't sure. <laughs> Uh, good, thank you. Uh, so now we're talking about uh, the Sanhedrin and uh, the jailing of John and uh, Peter. Um, of course, they were put in jail and all the things that happened. This is not the first time they were put in jail. Um, we'll just start at 18. It says, and when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, make your own judgment. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on the account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had been happening. Um, for the man on whom this miracle of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old which has to do with the consecration, etc. I won't even go into that. Uh, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported everything that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. That's important. That's important. They made a testimony. They spoke out what had been said to them, and they spoke out their response to what had been said to them. So it became a creative moment. Right? Sometimes we ask, Lord, why do you want me to pray that out loud? You're the one that's telling me. You already know. Why should I say it back to you? Because it needs to be created in this reality. As in heaven, so on earth. Right? That's right. It's, that's exactly what the seed is about. Um, and reported everything to the, that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they had heard this, they raised their voices to God with one mind and said, Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said, Why were the nations insolent and the people's plotting in vain? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city you were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant it to your bondservants to speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place in the name of your holy servant Jesus. And what they had prayed... And when they had prayed, uh, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with the Word of God with boldness. That's the birthing. There was persecution. There was a declaration of truth. 
there was an establishment of creation of truth. It was spoken out. They surrendered themselves to the will of God. God manifested. Not in a way that they thought was, you know, sometimes we get together for prayer and we're waiting to hear a word from the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not being facetious. It's good to wait on God to hear a word. What's that? That was in, I think that was uh, in Jerusalem when they got arrested. What's that? Oh, they were in prison. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, they all did. Well, uh, there's a number, there's actually a number of, of different, there's two. Yeah. And they just stayed in and said, don't, don't panic. We're here. Don't worry about it. Because they didn't want, they didn't want this man that they've been preaching the gospel of Christ to, to be killed because he would have been killed. He was a Roman centurion. And if they had left, he would have surrendered his life because that was the tradition of the day. So it's, yeah. And, and that in itself is another picture that I won't even go into. But, um, So that again was another declaration of the church. This was at the very beginning. This was this was this was these events occurred within weeks of Christ leaving, of his ascension. And again the church was declared, right? But something different was done. Something outside the box was done. Right? Um, Ananias and Sapphira, everybody is familiar with it. Everybody knows the story, so I won't read it. But Ananias and Sapphira came forward, and uh, uh, what uh, what had been attested to was that the Holy Spirit had come upon the group of people that were gathering together with the disciples in such a way that they sold everything they had. For some of us, selling everything you've got is easy because you don't got much. But for some of us, it's real hard. You know, I got a problem. Would you be able to sell your house tomorrow so I can take care of my problem? Would you, would you do that for me? <laughs> you don't have to answer that. <laughs> right? Yeah, right, yeah. But when the Spirit of God falls on a group of people with such force and with such conviction and with such unifying presence, it's said that they were together all of one mind, one spirit, nothing belonged to anybody but all to everybody. Leave your wealth behind. Let the dead bury the dead. Well, it is, and this is this is along that line. Um, but Ananias and Sapphira is a little bit different because what they've done is Ananias and Sapphira. It wasn't about them. It actually wasn't about them a lot. It wasn't even about them selling their property. What it was about, and it's very clear in the scripture, was the testing of the Holy Spirit. They thought that they were of a position that they could actually question the presence of God and test 
the presence of God when it was that thick. So understand this. We've never experienced this. We have never experienced this as a church. I don't believe there's anybody that can say they've been through anything even close to this. And I've experienced some crazy crap over the like good stuff over the over the years of being a Christian, but nothing like this. This was the presence of God dwelling so strongly with a group of people that I've heard people teach that it was equated to being in the Holy of Holies all day long, all of them, at once. So consider, when the Jerusalem priests would go into the Holy of Holies, they would go through a series of rituals to wash and cleanse themselves, which we've discussed before, and then a rope would be tied around their ankle. And the reason the rope would be tied around their ankle is because the sanctification of the Holy of Holies was such that no man could stand in the presence of God without dying unless they went through all of the ritualistic sanctification perfectly. So if you made one mistake, you were going to die. It's kind of like the guy walking beside the ark when the bearers stumbled and he reached out and touched the ark. He didn't do anything sinful except he touched the ark and he died because the presence of God was so strong. So you're now in a group of people who are within the presence of God and the presence of God is so strong. And yes, there's grace there. Yes, there's all those things there, but the presence of God is still the presence of God. That's why he's not my buddy. He is my buddy, but he's so much more because he is God. And when we get to that point where the presence of God is that thick, Ananias and Sapphira came forward. When Ananias came forward, he died. When Sapphira was questioned, Peter looked at her and said, because you have tested the Holy Spirit, the feet of the young men that have carried your husband will carry you out also. And she dropped dead on the spot. They chose to test the Holy Spirit standing in the Holy of Holies. And God was saying, I am still God. Respect me. Don't take me lightly. I have many things I want to do. Because right after that, right after, and people miss this part, but right after Ananias and Sapphira died, do you know what happened? They were carried out And great fear came over the church. Respect came to the church from outside and inside. And great miracles, signs, and wonders followed like had never been seen up to that point. Not because God made people afraid. Because God made himself known to be real. That's in the scripture. Acts 5.11 Yep, yep. God made himself known to be real. He was saying, I have this to do. Are we willing to stretch ourselves to the point that when God says, sacrifice all, give everything, that we're willing to do that in order to see the fulfillment of his call on the church and ourselves? Remembering, remembering, we don't know what we want. And we definitely don't know what we need. We think we do. I mean, how many times, 
Jack told me a story about buying his truck and that he hates his truck. <laughs> he would have rather had a different truck. But at the moment, at some point along the line, Jack thought that was the truck he needed for whatever reason, and he bought it. But he didn't know what he wanted or what he needed. He finally found it, right? So to sum up, you know, keep, our, keep in mind that we, we have a different standard. God has called us to a different standard. We are not people of this world. And as we move forward in the things of God, I will tell you, here's a challenge to me, this is becoming real burdensome to me. Electronics. Really, really burdensome to me. I don't know how I'm going to do without the internet, etc., but sooner or later it's probably going to happen to all of us, not just me. But for whatever reason, and I will tell you this, God does stuff with me before he does it with others, not because I am some type of uh, wondrous individual. It's because it's just in our family. I have no idea. My cousin's the same way. My sister's the same way. Something will happen to us 10 years beforehand or five years beforehand, and we'll know it's a big deal. We'll make a note of it in our journal, whatever the case, and then sure enough, there it is. Dana will attest to it. It's happened time and time and time again. And I go, Yeah, so it doesn't surprise me a bit. That, yeah, that doesn't surprise me a bit. So, you know, we're, we're, we're in a situation where, where we've known for a long time that our electronics could be shut down. That's just one thing, right? I mean, I think of kids, right? On their, they're just glued to them day in, day out, all the time. You know, we were talking about this with our, with our grandkids at one point because our grandkids go through the same thing, right? And it's, uh, it's a devastating thing to a person's mind as they develop, which you know, um, the developmental issues are huge, let alone what it does to an adult, um, which is brainwashing bar none. So, well, we do, and that's the problem, is that we need to depend on his spirit, not on the, not on the spirit of the blue screen. Yep. Yep. So if we, if, we, if we know we have a different standard, then we need to evaluate our life, eliminate the things that may stand in the way, and then I encourage you to prepare your soul and your spirit to get excited uh, for a new old way. Uh, we're about to see things. I mean, let me, let me ask you this, as, as, because you guys are the only ones with, with kids, right, in the congregation right now that, that aren't adults. How quick do you think your kids would put, us, put aside their electronics if all of a sudden on a daily basis we were seeing people healed, restored, regenerated, limbs growing out, backs healed, cancer gone, cysts falling on the floor, right? And they were seeing that day in and day out. Electronics become a thing of the past real quick because it just doesn't matter. It's not relative. Yeah. Yeah, if you know, kids would kids would get get off their stuff pretty darn quick because it's really about entertainment. It's about keeping the mind focused. It's about adjusting what you see, how you see it, that whole world set. And and we've raised generations of children now, unfortunately, that are glued to them. And I'm just as guilty, trust me. I mean, I was let me tell you, 
real quick story about changing your focus. Um, when my children were little, I was driving through Montana to go to British Columbia on a family vacation, and I went out of my way to buy the smallest VCR I could because they didn't have CD DVD players back then. This is still VCR. Smallest VCR I could, smallest TV that I could. I double-side taped them together with a power inverter that I plugged in to the battery through my firewall in my car right onto the battery <laughs> so that my kids could watch movies while we were driving to Montana because otherwise it was going to drive me nuts having them go on 24-7. And this is long before car entertainment systems were ever thought of. You know, so I am just as guilty as everybody else letting a TV babysit my kids and do whatever. This is not, I'm not judging anybody. But it's an amazing thing when God's miraculous power comes into being, how quickly our focus changes. And anybody who's ever experienced that knows. Your focus changes real quick. Real quick. Well, sure, and that's backed up with Scripture because it says that, that the Word is creative, right? I mean, so God created the world, word through, world through a spoken Word, right? And so being a creative Word, then when something happens, and it changes everything, right? So when miracles happen, everything around it changes, right? Declarations happen, everything around it changes, so when we're dealing with something like this, where, where when you look in the Acts and you see that that during you know this this horrible testing that Ananias and Sapphira went through, but then the declaration of truth came out because of what happened, and not just fear, but signs, wonders, and miracles like never before seen afterwards, because a creative event occurred, and the universe changed, right? So just be prepared. We're, we're coming into a time where there's, there's a lot of unknowns. And I know I've said this a lot, but I really think it's important that you're probably going to hear it from me and Jack and others again. We're coming into a time where there's a lot of unknowns. And when we're dealing with the time of a lot of unknowns, what we have to know is that in the unknowns, God is known. He knows us. He knows what he's going to do. He knows the end game. So if you find yourself living in a motorhome on some land beside us, don't panic. There is land available for anybody who wants to move their motorhome onto the property next to us. Uh, but don't panic. God can do what God's going to do. He's going to change things how he's going to change things, and he's going to position us how he's going to position us. And we can't panic over it. You know, I had a moment last night where I said, I'm done with this. We're going to do this, 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 and this. And I'm still standing with that plan in regards to my immigration because I'm done. Uh, but I'm not going to let the enemy force me into panic anymore. Over it. It's not happening. So be encouraged. That's all I had to say today. Um, I hope it made sense. Um, I know we kind of went back and forth all over the place, but um, what I'm really saying is that in this time that we're living in, when things can get crazy, God has a plan, and it's a new plan, but he's already laid it out for us to see. 
He said, this is my church. Signs, wonders, miracles, events that will blow your mind. Have that expectation every day. Lord, blow my mind today. Absolutely blow me up. Rattle me to the core. Make me see something differently. So let me give you some encouragement. Before the Azusa revival happened, the United States and Canada were in a uh, season of debauchery unlike anything that had been seen, I think, in the history of the nation up to that point. Uh, the roaring 20s and 30s were not all fun. They were perverse. They were twisted. They were horrific beyond, well, to, the, to the level of almost where we're at today. Today is worse but almost to where we're at today. And the only reason today is worse is because of electronics and broadcasting and et cetera, the way they get it out. But it was horrible back then. And in the midst of that, here's what happened. It started with prayer. And when I talk about prayer, I'm not talking about, oh, Heavenly Father, although there was some of that. It started with people stopping. There's all kinds of stories in all kinds of books from historical evangelists, etc., where they say, you know, I was walking down the street and the Lord said, take authority over this. And so I did. I had no idea what I was doing, but I did. Those types of stories. And the Word of God is really clear. If my people will humble themselves and pray, not if the world humbles themselves and prays. We need to really get that through our heads. It is not if the guy at the grocery store who doesn't know God finds God and starts to pray. No. If my people will humble themselves and pray. If my people will set their hearts in the right place, come to me and talk to me on a daily basis, and let me talk back to them, and hear what they've said, what I've said to them, and then enact what I tell them to do, I will heal their land. That is on us. It is not on our sons and daughters who are living a debauched life. I have one of each right now. And I love them dearly and I will always love them until the day I die, even if they never come back to the Lord. I love them without... I can't explain to you the love that I have for them. But you see, they've separated themselves from me because of their choice, not because of mine. They could call me any day and I'd be happy to hear from them. But the reality is they don't want that. 
That's where the world is right now. But I pray for my son and my two daughters and my grandchildren. That's what I do. That's my responsibility to humble myself and say, Father, bless these people. I don't know how many times I see somebody on the side of the street or sitting in an alley or this or that, and sometimes God says, do something for them, and sometimes he doesn't. But he always says to me, that's my child. That's my child. Always. You know, I mean, I was upset over some of the stupid debauchery that was coming out around Super Bowl as it usually does. Let me touch on something real quick. The world is the world. Sin is sin. It will always be with us. People will always sin. There's always people who will die and never know the glory or the grace of God. That is a reality. That's just the way it is. I wish I could say it was other, but that's the way it is. That doesn't mean we don't have compassion for those who are out there who are walking away from God or have never met God or don't know God. We have compassion for them. But what really irks me is when a group of individuals puts out advertising that is to show the heart of God to the world. And they're doing a great job with it. And on the Super Bowl Sunday, there was an ad that came out from an organization called He Gets Us. And if you've ever done any research into this organization, they are probably one of the best group of people you've ever met in your life. They don't believe in debauchery. They don't believe in sin. They don't believe in uh, greasy grace. They don't believe in any of that. What they believe in is that he gets us. He understands us. And for those people that don't know the Lord, he knows where they are. He died for that. He understands them. And so they put out this depiction of people washing other people's feet. And for the most part, the people that were washing the feet were your middle-class conservative Christians of different colors, race, and ethnicity. And the people that were having their feet washed were drug dealers and homosexuals and transgendered individuals and runaways and you name it. And what upsets me is that leaders of the Christian world came out and started to badmouth this ministry because they weren't honoring God because they were depicting greasy grace because they were Dana knows me I have a hard hard time with this stuff when this stuff happens I just want to grab somebody go back to my old self and start slapping them around I really do it's everything in me not to get violent and I don't mean violent in the way I mean spiritually violent and go down a road I shouldn't be going down I would never get physically violent with anybody but Um, it's everything in me. I just, here they are making a depiction. They put all this money into this. These ads cost millions upon millions of dollars and very well done. And they turn around, put this out over Super Bowl Sunday, make that investment, should have the support of every true believing Christian out there. And they got slapped silly for it. And boy, I wanted to slap back with everything in me. We can no longer support the religious. 
you have to take that into your heart and do with it as you will and ask God about it. But we are in a season where we can no longer support the religious. I'm telling you that right now as a warning from the Lord, flat out. Jack, if you want scripture, I'll tell you later. (laughs) I don't have it all at hand right now, but I can give you scripture for that. We are in a season where the religious is done. It's done. And we need to walk away from it. We need to evaluate ourselves and say, I'm walking away. I am not going to go there. That is also a part of, of the first century church, right? No, that's right. And so we need to realize that, that in this time, God may call us to do things. I'm being very careful with my words here. I know many of you go to other churches. That is not what I'm speaking to. But I am saying that God may call us to do things that segregates ourselves from past Christian relations that we've had. Don't be surprised by that. I've had events and occurrences in my life where I had lifelong friends that I've had to walk away from because of their choices. And it's not because I'm making some great sanctimonious religious doctrinal decision. It's because they have chosen to offend God in what they're saying and what they're doing. And I can't be around that. I, I, I can't. Well, back to Isaiah, when God has told us, not just me, he has told this group many times, Behold, I do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And that's the important part. Be holy. I do a new thing. Can you not perceive it? That's the important part to remember in that. Is be holy, but I do a new thing. That doesn't mean that what we used to do is wrong. But it does mean that don't just accept it as being right. Because you've always done it. It's a new thing. It's a different thing. I'm going to come at it from a different angle. People don't want to hear it this way. It's an extension of God's grace. Exactly. Okay, you didn't want to see me. I mean, how many times do we do we tell our children as they're growing up, please don't do that? I've asked you not to do that. Now, I've told you, don't do that. Danielle, now my, my daughter Danielle might be listening to this, so I'll use her because she was, she'll laugh at this. Danielle, Has dad told you not to do that? Yes, daddy. And now you've done it how many times? I know. So what do you think the consequences should be? I'm going to go to my room right now. Okay. And are you going to do it again? No, daddy. And if you do do it again, what's going to happen? I'm going to get a spank. I said, probably. Because of why? Because I'm dishonoring my elders. Right. And very rarely did she do it again. And when she did, she would literally come to me, and for the most part, unless she got in the mood to tell a story, she would come and she would just put herself over my knee and say, I need a spank. I was bad. (laughs) Do a new thing. Be respectful to God. Follow what he's telling you to do. Find the box you're supposed to fit in. Remember, you're a living stone. You are not made in the evangelistic 
block. You are not made in the preacher block. You're not made in the worship leader block. I'm not kidding you. When I, I'm, when I said this last week, I'm going to say it again this week, okay? You take us to places in worship that are amazing. The anointing that God has put on you for this season, whatever He's doing, keep doing it. I love coming and sitting and listening. And it just, it's this simplistic washing. I love it. I just love it. Thank you. Um, everything that everybody puts into this little group, you know, I can't wait until there's more and there's more people to share and there's more people that will come and do their part and someone will pick up a guitar and someone will pick up a trumpet. You know how that's going to work, a piano, guitar, and a trumpet. But, you know, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to keep on rambling if I don't just say I'm done. So I'm done. And uh, we have... Uh, I would like to pray for Kay today, corporately, uh, because we haven't been having Wednesday night prayer, and I know we've all been praying for her. Um, so Dana, would you lead us in prayer for, prayer for Kay? Can you do that? God, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that you have given us. And we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And that you love us. We thank you that you are all good. And that you are the most high God. And that there is none above you. God, I pray for this week that you would cover us four rivers and our households. That you would keep us safe and out of accidents. Father, we thank you for our elders and our leaders, for Jack and Kay. We ask that you would put a protection on them and upon their families. God, we ask for the healing to run down like thick honey. God, let that healing run over them and over their home, over their property and every part of what you've given them. Lord, you said to taste and see that you are good. Lord, we just ask for your, your holy presence to come down and envelop their home and everywhere they are and may they know that they are not alone and that the angels of God are there with them and around them. And God, that I, I pray that you would cover us here too, our homes and our families and our workplaces. 
I ask that your presence would invade everywhere we go and that your spirit would subdue every demon around us, God, and that you give us favor this week. We will walk in high favor in Jesus' name. Our invocation. Yeah, we called it an invocation last week. All right. As we have given back to the Lord a portion of what He has given us, we declare that He teaches us to profit and leads us in the way we should go. The Lord gives us power to make wealth and supplies all our needs according to His riches and glory. We bless Israel and pray for the peace of Jerusalem as He blesses us. His way becomes known on the earth and His salvation among all nations. Lord, we're believing You for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, debts paid off and a transfer of wealth, prosperous businesses, our vats filled with oil and our coffers with gold, expenses decreased, blessings increased, heavens open, earth invaded, signs, wonders, miracles and angelic visitations. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, thank you for more than enough, so that we can give into your kingdom, co-labor with heaven, and see Jesus get his full reward. Amen.